You are listening to the Follow series on 1 Peter from Holy Cross Presbyterian Church in Stanton, Virginia. 1 Peter is a letter written to Christians struggling to follow after Jesus in a world in which they increasingly see themselves as strangers. It is both instruction how and an encouragement to live in the world in relationships, vocations, communities, and the church out of an identity formed by the transforming and perfect work of Jesus Christ. verses in First Peter as part of our follow series. Rick is on vacation. He's somewhere at the beach. He sent us a text this morning, said, hey, we're praying for you guys. And when he returns in a few weeks, I'm sure he'll look a lot more like me than he did when he left. Uh, um, as is tradition here, would you guys please stand for the reading of God's word? First Peter 2, 13 through 17. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that in by doing good you should silence the ignorance talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You may be seated. First Peter 2, 13 through 17, this is God's word. As we begin to examine the text in First Peter, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit and what it means to us today, I want to invite you guys to place yourselves in the shoes of one, Tamika Delaney. Tamika Delaney is the daughter of Joe Delaney, a true sports hero, if ever such one existed. Joe Delaney was born in the small town of Henderson, Texas, which is about half the size of Stanton, Virginia. He went on to star in college at a really tiny school called Northwestern State, where he once in a football game in college had 283 yards in the first half. Even though he went to a small college that garnered the attention of NFL teams, he was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. In his first pro football game, he had 101 yards rushing and was the 1981 AFC Rookie of the Year. You can probably tell I'm a sports reporter. Um, However, Joe Delaney's greatest accomplishment did not come on a football field. On June 15th of 1983, uh, he was in Monroe, Louisiana at a park. Is that me? What's that? Okay. In June 29th of 1983, Joe Delaney was in Monroe, Louisiana at Chenault Park, and he saw three preteen boys drowning in a swimming hole. And so Joe Delaney jumps in to save the three boys, even though Joe Delaney himself cannot swim. And so on that day, he drowns with two of the boys but he's able to save one, a kid named LaMarcus Holland. Now, not only did Tamika Delaney lose the financial security she would have had as having a father who was a professional athlete, but by all accounts, she lost, she lost a wonderfully involved father as well. And adding to Tamika's horror in this situation is some of the decisions that LaMarcus would make with his life in the second chance of life he was given. 
Tragically, he ended up mixed up in drugs and even spent time in prison as convicted on um, cocaine distribution, leaving Tamika to ask, is this why my dad died? Tamika's question brings us to the thrust of First Peter's text this morning. You see, what the rescued do with their freedom shows exactly how much value they place on their rescuer. I'll say that again. What free people do, what rescued people do with their freedom is a direct result of how they feel about the rescue mission that the rescuer was on. And so, you and I need to be freed. Just like the kids in the swimming hole, you and I need to be freed. There was, uh, Adam comes in, and we learn this in the, um, excuse me, got my notes switched up. The original man comes in, and he tries to rescue himself from dependence on God, believing that true freedom lies outside of a relationship with God. And that leaves all of humanity in a position similar to those three boys, in a position where we need to be rescued. But before what uh, Adam would commit, what R.C. Sproul would label as cosmic treason, God already had a plan of redemption in place. If you guys are not familiar with Holy Cross, if you're new, the Bible tells lots of stories, but it tells one big story. And that story is this, that God created the world, and the world that he created was created in perfection. And so he creates the first couple, Adam and Eve, and to Adam he gives everything he needs to flourish. He gives them an intimate relationship with himself. He gives them an intimate personal relationship with his wife. He gives him work that is meaningful and it's life-giving and it's enjoyable. He gives him a great surroundings. He places him in a perfect garden. He gives him great food. Everything Adam needs to flourish, he has. Yet, it wasn't good enough. As we read on in the story, we see that another character gets introduced in Genesis 3, and it's the voice of Satan. And so for the very first time, another voice is listened to instead of God's voice. And then for the very first time, now God's character gets questioned. And for the very first time, we assume, mankind assumes that he would be a better God for himself than the God of the Bible was. And this isn't a small problem. Just as the U.S. president serves as our federal head, Adam served as humanity's federal head. So when he decided that dependence was the right route for humanity, he wasn't just making that decision for him. He was making that decision for each and every one of us. And so now, just like Adam, you and I, we listen to another voice instead of God's voice. And we think that we would be better gods of our lives than God would. But even before we fell into this, um, God had a plan of redemption. The other thing about this sin problem is 
once the vertical relationship was broken, the horizontal relationships were the next to go. So Adam and Eve have this perfect relationship. They live in complete harmony with one another. But then as soon as that vertical relationship with God is broken, now that horizontal relationship is broken and immediately they start playing the blame game. Then they have children and their first two children, Cain and Abel, Cain murders Abel. And so we see that once the vertical relationship is broken, that the horizontal relationship goes crazy. And the same thing is true. Now every relationship that you and I are part of are tainted by this thing that we would call the fall. And sometimes it's small and it's just how we work out problems in marriage or in family. Sometimes it's big and sometimes it's front page news. But you could take almost every single, I work at a newspaper, you could take almost every single headline that comes across the newspaper and replace it with the line, our world is broken and the story would read the exact same. Fortunately, God did have a plan of redemption. It was to wrap himself in human flesh. And so Jesus Christ invades into time and space. He comes into history and he lives a perfect life for you and I. Everywhere where Adam and and every person since Adam has failed to live in obedience to God, Jesus Christ succeeds. Not only does he live on our behalf, but he also dies on our behalf. And so Paul, who was this church persecutor who becomes a Christ follower, explains what happens as the cross in the terms of a great exchange. And so Jesus Christ, who is perfect and has never sinned, is willing to take on our sin and be treated like we should have been treated at the cross, which is punished for sin. We, in turn, get treated like Jesus Christ should have been treated, which is blameless and an absolute perfection in his terms of his relationship with God. And so now, Peter is talking to a group of people who have all been radically changed by this message. <clears throat> and they're, um, excuse me, they are exiles all throughout Asia Minor, and they're living out this gospel message in a place that is becoming increasingly hostile towards the gospel and towards Christian. And so Peter is admonishing these people to live as lights in a dark place. That's kind of been the theme that we started with in 2.11. And now he's breaking it down to where he's going to start putting them in, he's going to start saying what this looks like in certain positions in society. And the first one he's going to tackle is government. And so um, first he's going to say like, hey, you should submit to your governmental leaders. Then he's going to say, hey, here's why you should submit and here's the fruit it will produce when you do. And third, he's going he's gonna to challenge right and wrong uses of Christian freedom. So let's dig into the text. Verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors. All right, so the first thing that Peter tells uh, the dispersed Christians in Asian Minor is to sit, submit, or to bring under another's leadership in the positions of authority. If we're familiar with the Old Testament, this theme will sound familiar because there were times when God's covenant people would find themselves in exile and God's word to them is flourish and bloom where you are for the good of that city. Just like the verses in Jeremiah we read earlier, that was written to a group of people who were getting ready to face captivity for a severe period of time. And also when you think about Daniel, 
when at some point Daniel's story is that here's here are captives who are taken away by another government forced to serve in that government and that government didn't care so much about their covenant beliefs or their covenant God but they were to flourish there in this particular context Peter he knows that this uh, asking them to submit to the leaders that uh, that they were very hostile towards Christianity. Nero is known, in fact, for his um, torture of Christians. So what Peter is really asking these people to do is suffer for the Lord's sake. And in suffering for the Lord's sake, um, Jesus Christ himself is our example. I love this quote by Edmund Clowney, and I want to read it to you. Quote, Christians are called to serve together, to go the second mile, to suffer injustice without demanding their rights, knowing that they have an assured status before God and that he will vindicate them at last. In this willingness to serve while suffering injustice, Christ himself is the great example for those who bear his names. His hands did not grasp a sword, but they were stretched out to be pierced with nails. He did not lift a spear, but received the thrust of a spear in his side. He did not come to bring judgment, but to bear it for us. And if you're reading along in 1 Peter 2.13, you can underline that line that says, for the Lord's sake. And so we see Peter, through the Holy Spirit, is telling us to submit to authorities, even though those authorities may be corrupt at some level. The question arises, well, how far do I submit? Like, how far do I take this submission thing with a corrupt government? And I think the key is in that, in that little phrase, for the Lord's sake. So if the government asks you to do something that you couldn't do for the Lord's sake, if they asked you to do something that was immoral, then at that place, our allegiance would be to Christ and not government. P uh, Peter himself had this experience, and you guys remember in Acts chapter 3, uh, they're walking, there's a, there's a beggar, and they say, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And then Peter starts to preach the gospel when everyone's seen the miracle. But it ends up getting Peter and John arrested, and they say, don't speak any more of that name. And Peter's response is, I have to testify to what I've seen and heard. As we continue in verse 14, it says, uh, to those who are sent to punish those who, are, who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So here we see uh, Peter is laying out God's reasoning that government is God's ordained means for keeping control in society because of the fall just like we talk about relationships are broken anytime that we see positions of power we can expect to see abuses of positions of power but neither the fall nor the cross of Jesus Christ exclude Christians from following along with our government if we were to do that it would just create chaos and reflect poorly on our Lord <clears throat> Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Christians here had a bad reputation that they necessarily didn't earn or deserve. Nevertheless, they had it. Uh, they were considered disloyal to the local government. So they were bad. They were seen to be bad citizens. Uh, they were disruptive to the economic trade. So they were seen to be bad for the local economy. And there were even rumors that they were incestuous and well, as well as cannibals. And so they were even seen as bad for the fabric of relationships in society. And here's Peter's answer to this group. Let your actions 
speak louder than their words. So if you have a reputation as bad citizens, go out and help society flourish. If you were seen as bad for the economy, go out and be the best businessmen and the best employees that the society knows. If you had a reputation as being bad for the fabric of society, show how the gospel makes a difference in the relationships, in the fabric of society. And I feel like that really speaks to us and where we are in life because if you were just to pull a random person out of society out and just say, hey, what do you think when I say the word Christian? I mean, there may be a couple favorable words thrown in, but there would also be some words that were unfavorable. And perhaps as Christians, as a society, we have earned those. But you guys know exactly which words I'm talking about. They would say, oh, they're bigoted, they're closed-minded, they're hypocritical, and a laundry list of others. And Peter's words are, if you ever want to combat that and change the way society looks at you, it has to be with your actions. You just can't have, you can't converse your way and change somebody's. I mean, they need to see a difference. And so this one, I don't understand this one, but Christians have this reputation of being really bad tippers at restaurants. Like, and uh, we're worse than normal bad tippers as far as that goes, because uh, the waitress would complain, not only do you guys bad tips, but you leave like Christian material in place of a tip. And I mean, that's not exactly the witness I'm sure we're looking for, but that is so easy to fix. If we want to change the reputation of that, like when you go to a restaurant, be hospitable, be cordial, don't be demanding. And when you leave, say thank you. Show how you are through graciousness. If the law says 15%, we can go above the law to the point where like waitresses are fighting over who gets to seat the Christians. But I think that's Peter's thing, like not just for restaurants, but for all of society, like like, let's change the way through our actions that society um, views us. Verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So Peter here is anticipating that you're going to have a question. And he says, hey, you just told me about that gospel, how I was a slave to sin, and Jesus Christ came to free me. But isn't this just like bringing myself into another form of of bondage. And Peter's answer is, um, you're going to be a slave to something, so choose a kind master. It's kind of helpful to look at the three ways that people in society uh, tackled this question in in regards to government. First, you had a group of people known as the Zealots, and we know Jesus had a disciple that was one of the Zealots, but the only authority they recognized was God's authority, and they thought that the answer to the Roman problem was the sword. And then you had another group of people that were the antinomians, and they were, um, they, they, their belief was they were set free so that they could pursue their own pleasures at all costs. So that's what they thought their freedom was for. And then you had the Stoics, who were kind of like fatalistic, and they're thinking, and they're like, oh, like, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Like, it's our destiny. It has to happen. Um, and so you have these three views of people and how they're trying to relate to government. But Peter offers another suggestion. He says, to the zealots, if you overthrow a corrupt leader, he's more than likely just going to get placed by another. He's going to be replaced by another corrupt leader. And... Um, If you're just set free to pursue your own gratifications, that's not much of a picture of the gospel. 
And Stoicism isn't, it doesn't reflect a God who intervenes and interacts in society. And so a, third, a fourth alternative is the gospel, where we come in and we live under subjection and we're the best citizens in the community that hates us and no one can figure out why, but it's the light of the gospel um, being shown. So when Christ frees us, he doesn't free us to make us a slave to autonomy because autonomy is not truly freedom and it is a cruel master. I told you guys um, I'm a sports reporter. One of the few, very few players who ever got drafted to the NBA here uh, was a point guard named Pee Wee Barber who was at Harrisonburg High School and he was got drafted by the Portland Trailblazers but his basketball career never took off professionally and he got mixed up in the drug trade. And so he's in state court and he gets let in, he's in handcuffs and he beats his charges and he's walking out the state courts and as soon as he's here, as soon as he steps down, the federal marshals are waiting for him to arrest him on federal charges. And so you have this picture of this man who gets his handcuffs taken off and thinks he's walking towards freedom only to get another pair of handcuffs slapped on him. Here, that's exactly what Peter is saying. That's not what you want to do. You want to be free in Christ. Don't disguise like your freedom in evil and just do whatever you want to do for autonomy's sake like antinomians. Live for the gospel. It's worth it even if you have to suffer. <clears throat> We've been called to live lives that are freely dependent on God. And as ironic as that sounds, like the truest freedom is to live as God's slaves. Um, as Peter wraps up in verse 217, he just sums up a lot of what Rick was talking about last Tuesday and what I've been talking about today. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Um, none of those commands are new. They've all been hashed out except for the one that says, love the family of believers. And so I grew up in church, really didn't have a love for the church, and I really didn't understand a lot about it. But after I became a Christian, the church became this beautiful thing where God was making his manifold wisdom known to the world. And now it's an honor to be part, and not just for me, myself, to be redeemed, to be set apart for a people who are waiting to be... Uh, united with Christ forever. And we can manifest like that by the way that we express that to one another when we gather on Sundays and making sure our lives intersect in a way that really is beautiful to an on-watching world. Finally, it's worth noting that Peter had his own struggle in this area. I don't know if you guys remember in Luke 22, it's the time for Jesus to get arrested and they come to arrest Jesus, and Peter decides, oh, I'm not going out like that. And so he pulls out this sword, and he just starts swinging. And uh, this dude, Malchus, just loses his ear, and Jesus has to put it back on. It's like, ah, uh, we didn't come to do that. There's a professor at the Dallas Theological Seminary named Howard Hendricks, and he suggested that there was a way that if you swung the sword just right and you hit somebody right in the middle of their helmet, like you could discombobulate them, make them real dizzy. And he suggests maybe that's what Peter was trying to do, but he just wasn't that good with his sword. So he missed and he got his ear off. And I, a lot of the times, you know, we can laugh at Peter uh, because he does. Like we see a lot of his mistakes recorded in the pages of Scripture. 
But I think for a lot of us, it's true that we will try to accomplish God's ways with the world's means. And we might not have a physical sword in one hand and somebody's ear in the other hand, but we can all point to times where we say like, hey, this is what God wants, and so here's the means he's going to accomplish it through, when that might not necessarily be the case. So as we close, I want to look at five ways uh, that the gospel frees us in context of living within our government structure. Um, Number one, the gospel frees us to live life with the great hope that our sovereign God is greater than anything that happens on election night. It's just a beautiful chance for Christians to say, like, hey, we're involved citizens, like, we care, we want to be, be involved. We live in a great country where we have a democracy and we have input and we have say. But at the end of the day, whether the person I voted for on the ballot or not wins the election, that's not where my hope is. I have an eternal hope. And even though I'm a citizen of here, my true citizenship is somewhere else. And my God is in control of everything that happens on election night. So we don't have to fret. Um, Number two, the gospel frees us to disagree with political leaders, policies, or people who hold opposing political views very graciously. And so I don't know if you guys have ever seen... um, Social media is always the worst right around the terms of the election, and it can get very hostile. And it's because a lot of the times we exalt politics to a place that it doesn't belong. It is important, and it does affect our day-to-day lives, uh, but it's not ultimate. And so when we're freed and we can live as God's slaves and God goes back to ultimate, we can put politics back in its proper place. We live in a country where we can voice those opinions, dissenting opinions, and it's great, but we always want to do that in a way that's a good reflection of the gospel. Number three, uh, the gospel frees us to find our identity in Christ instead of a political party. And um, no matter which side of that we can tend to fall on, it's great that we have a unifier. And so before where a donkey or an elephant, our symbol is a cross, and that's a pretty amazing thing. Uh, Number four, and this one might be my favorite, individually and corporately, the gospel frees us to seek the flourishing of the city. And so we've been saved, but we've all been set on mission as well. And the way that we engage and interact our city says a lot about the God we serve. And so it's just neat when you see Christians come in and we're able to do the exact same things in society that the gospel has done in us. That gets me uh, really excited. And number five, finally, uh, the gospel frees us not to be enslaved to anything but God. That was not true of my life before Christ, I was enslaved to sin. I was enslaved to bondage. I had particular enslavements within those, like that general enslavement. But Christ comes to set me free, and now I don't have to take on any of those bondages again. I'm free from the slavery of having to live for myself, and now I can truly pursue the one relationship that I was meant to pursue. Um, I believe there's a right way to preach a sermon, and that's why I've kind of been here just hanging out, learning uh, from the guys. And I believe there's also a right way to listen to God's Word being taught. And so 
one of the things that I like to do is when I hear application points, I like to put them in question form just as a diagnostic for my own life to see if I'm consistent or inconsistent with the scriptures on this point. As Christians, we've all been called to live lives of repentance, and that doesn't have to be a scary or mournful thing. It's just us making sure we're walking in line with our Savior. So as I conclude, um, just good diagnostic questions I like to ask myself, and you feel free to ask yourself. um, Was the way I responded on election night proof that my hope is in the gospel? Am I seeking the flourishing of the city? Am I enslaved to anything other than God? Thank you, guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that uh, you are sovereign over our political situations in our country, of our economy. And, um, Lord, that you do ask us to be involved and to be good citizens and to reflect you well. May you encourage us all from... um, your word from Peter's text to do those things. In Jesus' name, amen.